does it mean to be UMC? Each episode of this podcast series explores that question with clergy and laity at the East Ohio Conference sharing stories of how lives are being transformed through the ministries of the United Methodist Church. This is Storyboard, Faith, Witness, Transformation. Welcome to another episode of Storyboard, Faith, Witness, Transformation. Today we are continuing our series on the four pillars of what it means to be UMC. And previously we have explored the pillar of disciple making. And today we're going to look at the second pillar of belonging and inclusion. And these are the four pillars that we really have built this podcast around. We we like to bring in stories of different people and different churches and ministries that are uh, expressing these different pillars. And we decided that it really was about time that we took these pillars and explored them one by one by diving in deep. We have uh, Reverend Beth Ortiz, uh, we have Reverend Ed Fashbaugh, and we have Will Fenton-Jones, and we have Gary Jones, who is a deacon here in the East Ohio Conference. And uh, Beth, you're going to take the hosting duties once again on this one. And uh, I'm going to turn the mic over to you. And as I said, you're going to lead our discussion on belonging and inclusion. So, Beth, how are you this afternoon? I'm great. All right. So, Beth, why don't you go ahead and uh, lead our discussion and uh, tell us all about uh, belonging and inclusion? Great. Well, and uh, Brett introduced all the people around the table, but I like to highlight that we all belong and we're included in the Connectional Ministries office team. A team, I have to say, um, all joking aside, uh, has been a place that has been a where I have experienced feeling of belonging and inclusion. But I'll say, um, I think belonging and inclusion are things we all know have value, but they can mean a wide variety of things. And we also experience them very differently. And so I'm just curious as we start, if if we all would share an experience of when uh, someone or, or a group of people have made us feel as if we belong or were included. Sure. I'll go first. <laughs> well, it's interesting because as a as a pastor, you um, people automatically include you. And then when I had the opportunity to serve on cabinet as a district superintendent, I found that people also were included you as long as they knew you were DS. But I remember going into one church and not a single person said, I mean, there was a lot of people there. Not a single person said hello or welcomed me. In fact, I'll never forget the uh, greeter handed me a bulletin while they continued to talk to their friend as I entered the sanctuary. And, I, and so that was a feeling of not being included. But I went to another church, this rural church um, outside of outside of New Comerstown. And, from the, and nobody knew me there, but from the moment I hit the parking lot, people were smiling and welcoming me and talking to me. And my wife, Amy, was with me. And again, nobody knew who we were. We sat down and boy, people just were so kind and considerate and asked us if we needed anything. And I felt like this would be a place that I would just love to go because they instantly, you knew they instantly cared about you. They thought about you. They welcomed you. It, it was, I mean, amazing experience. And uh, it just made me that much more focused on how do we help 
one another be inclusive and welcoming. You made me uh, think, Ed, about um, food for some reason, like getting invited to lunches <laughs> after like going and speaking somewhere or, you know, that always has made me feel welcomed and and those churches and places where you're just like, you know, they treat you as one of their own and they don't even know you has been really great. I was trying to think of a time in, in my past too, you know, there, I think there's there's always been a tension of like, you know, am I fully included or... Um, you know, what, what exactly that feels like. Uh, cause I think sometimes I was trying to think of someone maybe remembering my preferences or something like that. Yeah. I just being welcomed into people's homes or being welcomed or invited out to lunch. Those are the times when I feel most, I think included. Um, when you asked that question, Beth, my mind immediately went back to when did I first feel that? And so I, I really, it, it was my home church and it was being a youth and youth ministry at my home church. Probably ninth grade is when I started in the youth group. And I know those four years of, of high school, I just felt so welcomed and um, cared for in my, in my home church in lots of different ways. And that was, that was really powerful. That's, that's what really shaped my life further going into ministry. And of course I have to say the other place would be at camp. Um, for me, it was working on camp staff my summers while I was in college and, and the inclusion that I felt um, and cared for as part of that staff. And that, and then it was my job to make sure that those campers that came felt that same way. They felt included and that they belonged. And, and that really, again, that, that inclusion, that belonging that I felt shaped ministry for me into the future. I want to second that because uh you get paid to talk about camp exactly no, so i kind of had to bring it in there I, yeah when i was on camp staff it really was like a family experience i mean you you really it, it was a, a beautiful experience to have staff come together to be counselors for the whole summer from different walks and you kind of you make lifelong friends and then the other place uh is the con conference council on youth ministries when i was on and ed was leading it that was that was a pretty a place of belonging, like youth from across the conference getting together, quirky, nerdy, you know, church kids all just having a good time together. It, you know, I, so I, I, I agree, Gary Camp, and uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Well, I mean, I have to say as well that I had some amazing experiences, not as a camp counselor, but just as a youth or as a child that went to camp. My parents religiously sent me to to our camps, not because they were religious, but because they wanted me gone for a week a year. <laughs> but I'll say, you know, no matter who the counselors were or the other kids, it really was a place that you kind of built a short-term family and you had all these amazing experiences. But I have to say, I, I agree with Gary, the, the one of the places I most think of when I think of belonging and inclusion is the church I grew up in. And the fact that as a kid, and I walked down those halls, so many people called me by name. And asked me about the sports I was in, or they listened to my horrible oboe playing every <laughs> event um, as I played the only hymn I would play. Do you still play is the question we could get. Up. I still play the same <laughs> hymn. I only play It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. It's the only hymn I'll play on the oboe. But it it was just such a place. And and when I grew and I, I had, you know, some years where I struggled to fit in in different places, but I would always go to this place where all these people would know my name 
and asked me about life. And uh, when I was ready, invited me also in ways that that uh, into leadership. And it's the first place I led vacation Bible school or led a church ministry, um, all because they let me know that I was part of it. Um, and not just part of it for them, their amusement, but a true part of it and welcome to, to engage in any way that I, uh, that I wanted. So I was thinking, it wasn't too long ago, uh, my family and I were at a North Canton Street Festival, and there was a booth there with a minister association, and they had a board up on what could we pray for you. And at that time, there were only two things written up there, isolation and loneliness. <laughs> and uh, it just really strikes me that that having places of belonging and inclusion are so needed in our society. So, but my question to us is, why is that our job as the United Methodist Church, or is it our job or call? Um, so, why is that our piece and not for somebody else? I look at the life of Jesus and who Jesus included in ministry, and you know, from the the zealot to the tax collector, you know, uh, an employee of Rome, so to speak, like vast difference of who Jesus went to and interacted with and uh, who Jesus invited to the table, so to speak, you know? So for me, it's, it's, it's living out that opportunity just to, to do like Jesus did go to the di different places, go to the marketplace, go to schools, go to um, churches even. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, invite people to come along on this on this journey of um, discipleship, like we talked about last time. Yeah, I was I was gonna say, and and Will said it before I did, but it's you know <laughs> Jesus went to the least of these, and and you know that's those are the folks, the people who are on the fringes, um, the people who are not who who because of circumstances and whatever in their life are, are not in the center and don't have the the support system that other folks do, the people who are on the fringes, they're the ones we're, we're to be ministering with. And that's who, who Jesus went out of his way to be with. And that's where we should follow that example. And that's, you know, we have to admit that's really a challenge because we typically, and we were talking about this before we even started, you know, we typically, um, whether we like it, like to do it or for whatever uh, reasons, we, we tend to welcome um, and include people that are like us. Mm -hmm. that look like us, that think like us, and, and really where I think our discipleship really um, pushes us is to welcome and include people who are not like us, who don't look like us, who may not be able to offer anything to us. And I, and I think that's, that's the, the challenge. Uh, I'll never forget this. In the church I grew up in, I was uh, a young teenager, and we talked about Jesus all the time. It was very evangelical. We were having a worship service, and then in walks, uh, and everybody at that time, you know, everybody dressed up for church, in walks a, a person. Today, we would call it a, a street person or perhaps homeless and comes in with overalls and a dirty T-shirt. And all of a sudden, nobody could even think about what was going on with the sermon. People kept turning around looking at this person. And I felt how odd it was that there, there just seemed to be this focus on this person. And nobody talked to this person after the, um, when the service was over. And that just I was just committed then and there. I thought to myself, no, that's not what the church is, is to be like. And I, and I think the challenge is to keep every single day remembering 
that we follow Jesus and Jesus as will and and Gary said just welcomed all people. I think the the parable of the good Samaritan too is like the quintessential um, why do we include everyone? Because Jesus told a story about a man who went down to Jericho and, you know, it was a question of who is my neighbor? And, you know, Mr. Rogers was a guy that really <laughs> we <laughs> got like to, to listen to the that. previous uh, episode here, but, you know, uh, helped us think about uh, who our neighbor is and, and invite people, won't you be my neighbor? And <laughs> But I, I really do think that parable is kind of quintessential to say our neighbor isn't just – it is who's immediately next to us. That is a neighbor. But um, the neighbor is the person that you would least expect or or least think is your neighbor, the guy with the overalls. You know? So I think to me that's like a key, key piece as to why we have to be spaces of belonging and inclusion. When I think, too, of um, especially it, Gary talked about the people on the fringe or the people that are different than us. But I think, too, is sometimes even within these spaces, seeing who is on the fringe is part of this call to become more inclusive and belonging. You know, there are a lot of people right now, um, older adults who are feeling like they're lost in this world. They've retired and that maybe was really part of their identity and their family may be dispersed as families tend to be more now. And they could be really alone and isolated and feeling actually like, you know, society's pushing them out because they're too old. And then we have young people who feel like their voices aren't being heard because they're, they think differently in some way than their older generation. And so I think part of belonging inclusion too is taking the time to see who are we putting on the French with our own uh, behaviors and attitudes? Mm. And then well, I think the other really key part for me where I think the church is uniquely called to this, because um, in secular world, we're more encouraged to think about ourselves. So we're going to we're going to connect with people who in some way benefit us um, and not necessarily just monetarily. But, you know, like I like being in your presence or you bring me joy or not necessarily bad things, but we don't seek out to belong, include people that we're not just naturally really comfortable around. And so the church speaks into that as, as Will and, and the rest of you had so well put as it's about really, it's about how are we living like Jesus here? So as a, as a church is desiring as a group of Christians to become, maybe make sure they're, they're offering options for belonging and inclusion to people not yet with them. What are some steps you could suggest to them on and how they can make sure they're engaging in practices that encourage belonging and inclusion? I think you have to prioritize making room and making space. And a lot of people, uh, I, at least my observation is, is it, it really comes down to sort of preference. And if we're secure in who we are, in terms of our identity, either as a church or an institution or as um, an individual, if you're secure in that, you really don't have any problem making room to like hear where someone else is coming from or or to make room for someone else's ideas or perspective at the table. So, you know, one tip is just to get to know yourself more, who you are, why you are the way you are, kind of about your own personal history, maybe where you came from in your story. And that kind of self-reflection actually opens room in a sense to start asking people like, well, you know, tell me a little bit about who you are and where you come from and what are some of your stories? And then you can kind of, you compare that to your life story and you can, 
you know, come across points of, of relationship building, of similar experience, commonalities, and then also kind of come across points of friction. You know, maybe it's different political views or um, even a different religion or something like that. But if you know who you are um, and you sort of have a curiosity and you're making room for that other person, you know, it's really a, an easy way just to make space at the table in a sense. Well, and uh, well, the one thing you said, you know, ask them about their story. And for me, that's I think that might be one of the core things. Don't assume, you know, somebody else's stories or their own. They're what they need or what they want. I can't say uh how often I have been in spaces and and part of where I am in my life journey is I have two young kids and and um, I'm not quite a young adult, but we'll, I'm young adult by United Methodist standards. And I'm in all these spaces uh, where people are talking about what families want and no one has ever actually asked me um, as as a as a person. And then, you know, when I think of the decisions we talk about, well, well, we want the youth, you know, to do this, this and this. It's like, well, have we asked the youth what they want to do? And and so I, that was really clicked with me, Will, that if we want to be spaces that that offer including and belonging, one of the first steps is to sit down at the table and say, what does inclusion and belonging feel like to you? How can we make this a space that that sticks with you in a good way going going forward? Yeah, I, uh, our culture is so divided on so many issues. We got culture wars everywhere. Politics divide us. World issues divide us. It would be helpful as churches if we create that safe space where regardless how you think or feel on a position, it's safe to share it. And we can talk about it. And we can love each other through it. We can model what what that looks like for the world. And to the extent that we can do it, we can be welcoming and inclusive of all people. And, and, and really, I think that's the challenge today because we have so many pulls on us by way of culture and by way of the ways we've been brought up that thinking in this Christ-like way really breaks us out of that pattern if we're willing to. And I really think if we can break out of that pattern, then inclusivity and welcoming can be a natural outgrowth. But, you know, we have to want it. We have to feel the uncomfortableness of what it's like to be with people who don't believe like me and that I can still be in a relationship with them because that's just not what we're getting in the world today. And we've got to be, I think, different than the world. Yeah. That made me think of the big tent analogy that people have used to kind of describe the United Methodist Church. Like if we're a big tent, organization. You got to go to the other side of the tent sometimes, you know, it, it's a really big tent, but like go explore the other side of the tent and see what people are doing That's over good. there in a sense. And too often, I think we're on our side of the tent and then we like look at the other side of the tent and you're like, they're out of the tent. But if you went over there, you'd see that your perspective is just off that actually they, they still are in the tent hmm. and they, you know, just go explore the different areas of the tent. You know where you came from in the tent. Like you can always go back there, but uh, just go check out the other spaces of the tent. Yeah. Some, something Will said earlier about listening to other people's stories that really struck a chord with me because in order to have time to really listen to someone else's story, you can't do that in a, well, we have an hour for a meeting or we have to get in and out of worship in an hour or, you know, I mean, we're all so busy, but if we really want to include everybody and help them to belong, you have to listen to their story. You have to know who they are and, and, and where they've come from. And so we have to learn to slow down and listen. 
slow down and listen to someone else's story and tell them your story. And that's where the connections come from. That's where we'll find out, oh, gosh, we we really, you know, click on several different places and and we can and that brings that inclusion and, and belonging. But we have to slow down and do it and give time for that. And we, it, we're, we're too fast paced. We're too busy. You know, if it's not a, you know, five sentence paragraph on Facebook or social media, we don't read it because that's, it's too long. It's, if it's, if it's more than that, we won't look at it. Well, take time to read the whole story. Take time to listen to everybody's story. That's good. Well, and I think too, if we want people to feel included, actually giving them our time is, is one of the best gifts we can have in our full present undivided time. So, you know, putting down the phone, stopping talking to maybe as Ed shared in one of the stories earlier, your friend and actually spend that time uh, talking to someone who is new and needs to belong and include with you. So Gary mentioned Facebook and everybody who knows me well knows how much I uh, do not appreciate social Sorry, media. Sorry, I brought it up. But I think that as we think about our, our lives as Christians and as United Methodists, how we engage in all of our spaces should be ways that that open up inclusion and belonging. And uh, so how do you see social media um, or our technology in general um, helping us to to widen our inclusivity and belonging versus narrow it. Oh, that's tough because I think the the algorithm sometimes limits you like it, the algorithms uh, sort of feed you what it, the, you know, they think you want to see. So that way you stay on the app and come across ads and, you know, it's, it is a business. So there's that aspect and, and I'm not trying to (laughs) go into the, (laughs) I'm not a conspiracy theorist here, but, um, uh, you know, so I think intentionally subscribing and following organizations that are different than your own, you know, and and going to, you know, on TikTok, there's like, oh, you're on like camping TikTok or like a survival TikTok or, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers TikTok or, <laughs> or, <laughs> Sesame, know, Street. or Sesame Street TikTok. <laughs> no, so like – you know, you, you have your likes and stuff in it and social media shows you those things. But, you know, it's like the tent concept. Go to other sides of social media and kind of see what's going on over there. So um, at least for belonging and inclusion in terms of cultural and racial diversity, follow uh, leaders who are of a different race or authors or artists who come from different cultural backgrounds than you do would be uh, one suggestion. Well, and when you think about social media... It gives us a false sense that we are in relationship with people because we've had a little chat with two or three sentences through Mm -hmm. our, you know, through social media. But understanding and remembering, okay, yeah, we're in relationship now. We've connected that that's only the beginning. Let's try to make that bigger. Let's try to, instead of just only connecting with that friend from the past that we've reconnected with, well, let's find a way to actually get together. Let's actually spend some time. It comes back to time. Spend some time where it's more than just a a text or two or a message or two, but we really are together so we can hear each other's stories and where are you um, and make it make it a real connection instead of just a, a connection through media. 
Well, I think too, for me is, is somewhat when we, when, uh, well, I don't ever make this choice, but when other people make the choice to engage with posts and kind of have some back and forth, I think it's really important as, as Christians that we never dehumanize another person with our language. Uh, even if we vastly disagree with them, uh, they, they're still a, a child of God and they still deserve our respect. And, and we see this in some casual, uh, language used, um, uh, I see it a lot, particularly towards women who hold opinions that that are maybe not in favor. Uh, and I, I see this actually a lot in faith organizations. So they're of a faith organization, but their opinion is not of the main group. And the elders of that will turn on them and, and quickly engage in some language that really uh, treats them more like an animal uh, to be dealt with than a person to be engaged with. And uh, while we may not be the worst offenders in that way, to make sure if we're people of belonging and inclusion, that does mean people we don't agree with all the time. And how do we still know who we are, as Will kind of lifted up earlier, but be able to either just walk away um, or to engage in a way that that continues to say we can still belong to the same, you know, the, the same big tent or um, the big tent of God's love even and what that can look like. I mean, that's a challenge because I think social media is has been driving the divisions in our in our country and and really trying to rise above that. It, one of the things that I've learned, too, is I read it. People can be horribly judgmental and hateful and uh, on social media. And we have to as Christians, you know, we have to make a decision. We don't want to be part of that. Uh, I know when we were going through our recent challenges, and for the record, United Methodist clergy and laity do believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure there can be some examples of people saying things off the wall, but the problem is when people say uh, there's there's a pastor who doesn't believe in the resurrection, my whole thing is rather than judging them and casting them out, treating them like an animal, let, why not listen? Why, what brought them to that point? What, what, why do they believe that way? Because at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm still called not to judge that person and to love them. So as, as we look at social media, I, I think it's important that we don't allow things to trigger us, to try to do our best to even reflect inclusion in, in that space. And I'll be the first one to say it's a, it's a challenge. And, and I think uh, any more entering into the uh, Twitter sphere takes a great deal of care and fasting. <laughs> I, I think uh, for me, it kind of goes back to the like knowing our history and our story. And like the early Christian church, you know, a lot of the wrestling and conversation and divisions were kind of about questioning what does this all mean? What does the resurrection mean? And like those divisions still exist today, kind of the offshoots, branches of different Christian practices and experiences. I mean, we're, we still have like our Arminian Calvin sort of differences that go back 200 years. And, uh, you know, what's cool to me about Methodism is in our book of discipline where we have our articles of religion, it, you know, it allows room in a sense that we have our doctrinal sort of um, basis, but it sort of allows room for discussion uh, in terms of what this means for you. And I've been on the board of ministry for two years, and it's so cool to go into interviews and hear kind of people share their call story and how they view sort of different, you know, no one has the same answer in a sense about like, 
the gospel or atonement or, um, you know, even different understandings of how scripture, it, it's still sort of in the Methodist framework, but um, that's been a really cool experience for me as a lay person to see that, the diversity of that uh, space for dialogue uh, and the use of reason in a sense. So I'm going to start with, I'm going to let Gary know, um, I'm going to turn first to Uh-oh. you at, with where I'm going next and then uh, and the rest of us can jump in. But I'm aware a lot of churches desire to be spaces of belonging and inclusion, uh, but that's easiest with those of us already there, right? Because we know each other. We do know the stories. And so sometimes I think churches stumble not because of a lack of heart, but just maybe a little bit lack of skill on how do you make spaces of belonging and inclusion before you've had the time to have the conversations or walk with people or learn their names. And I'm just aware that our camps, they get a new group of kids every week and they make spaces of belonging and inclusion. So I feel like camps shows us that we we do have the skills to to make spaces that that have deep connection pretty quickly. And I'm just ge- wondering, Gary, if there's like, I don't want to call them tips, right? But if <laughs> if there's things that camping ministry um, has kept at its heart that maybe we can apply in our other ministries as well. Good question. Well, I know, um, you know, Sunday night we gather. One of the first things that you want to do when campers arrive, and, you know, not everybody arrives at the same time, but you want to make sure that the first kid that arrives feels welcomed. And so we train our counselors to, you know, make sure when that first kid arrives that you're, you're, you're interacting, you're, you're helping them smooth that transition into being away from, you know, parent guardian to being here at camp. And as the group gathers, we, we right away, do we know everybody? Do we know everybody's name? Have we made sure everyone's voice is heard in the, in the conversation and everybody feels welcome and and all of that. And those, and then we just continue to build that community as the week goes on. And, you know, I'm trying to think to translate that into the life of the local church is that we we make sure that nobody enters into worship, enters into the building without being welcomed and we know their name. And we we do what we can do to make sure that we're building a community, um, that they are part of that community. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things in my mind that I'm, I'm tra- translating into the local church life. But it, it's it's pretty simple, you know. Find a way at the beginning of worship or whatever you're doing to make sure everyone's voice gets heard and that we've recognized you're all here and you're all a part of us. And then, you know, continue to try to build that community. It's not just about what we're here for, you know, whether it's a meeting or a Bible study or whatever, but build the community first. And then then we can accomplish the work we have to do, um, but build the community first. So what I really I I feel like a, a large part of what you're talking about is is the to use the more internal church word is hospitality being right. places right. of deep welcoming and and listening which it, hospitality is is kind of this love of other lived out and so 
And that is, that's often offering hospitality to the stranger is what invites them to become into our space where then we can belong and include uh, to each other. So I just kind of kick this one more open, um, recognizing maybe hospitality is this first step in. How can our churches make sure that they are places of hospitality versus being friendly to their friends? Gary, also for uh, not not that you missed it, but Ooh. name tags, the oh, cookie, yes, the wood name, cookies, yes, yes. And I was sitting here as you were talking and <laughs> thinking about like, man, name tags are such an easy, practical way just to learn people's names. Right. And um, I was also thinking though that you sometimes go into churches and they have all these like pre-made name tags, maybe sort of for the in people, you know, mm-hmm. like you get your name printed on a little tag. It's got your church symbol or the cross in the flame. And I was, I'm just like, at, well, how do you, you know, if someone's coming in new, how do you get them their own personalized name tag in a sense to say like, Hey, you're already a part of this team or this family right. or, right. you know, uh, that would be, you know, have, have someone there at a computer that's just <laughs> printing new name tags. It, it would be hard to do, but right. um, I think the wood cookie piece is like, it's a, Mm-hmm. You know, you sit down with a Sharpie and you get to de- design your own thing and and put your name on it. And it's just like an easy, practical way to um, yeah. learn people's names. So, I, don't know. I, th- I think one of the challenges is that uh, it's important not to allow hospitality to become another program. Right. Right. You know, where, uh, you know, we're, uh, we, we spend more time setting up hospitality than actually being hospitable. And so uh, I just I would just challenge churches is that, I mean, the end uh, goal here is just to to be warm and welcoming and to let people feel this is a place that that cares about them. You know, so it's okay if, you know, the uh, cups aren't set out exactly like they that someone thinks they should be, or we get all all upset that somebody didn't bring in the right amount of cookies or whatever it might be. But how how can we continue to be that welcoming place and keep that the focus rather than the program of hospitality? Well, if we flip back to camp, take it a little step further. Our, our end goal is to make sure people feel welcome. But at camp, it's not our end goal at camp isn't to feel welcome. It's to build a community. Mm. And so hospitality and cookies and punch and name tags are a part of it, but that's not where we right. stop. Right. That's just the beginning. Right. The, the It has to carry on and our, our end goal has to be much bigger. Well, and and for me, and this is something we, we've dealt a lot with with our lighthouse churches is hospitality. We, we've undersold it. We've said it is about cookies and, and name tags and not, uh, you know, I love cookies, though. I'm gluten free, <laughs> so I actually don't love cookies or they don't love me, uh, but, or name tags. And I won't wear a name tag if I go someplace actually. Um, but, but we, we have reduced them to these, these fixes, but really hospitality is a culture that invites a stranger into the heart of our ministry. And that's what we spend some time talking about in Lighthouse Churches is how do we move from greeting somebody at a door and considering ourselves hospitable um, and to welcoming somebody into the heart of our ministry and who we are, recognizing actually some of that could change us, that that when you welcome new folks in, um, it's going to change what's already there. But that's what I think is so beautiful about United Methodism is we don't believe what's there right now has to be exactly how it is tomorrow. I find that there's a lot of space to grow and to to see a different future that still has all the values that we hold dear, but that can make a space where there's more room um, at this table. Sometimes even if it means maybe I need to slide back from the that 
particular table, certainly not the table of faith, but making space for different people, even at the own my own sacrifice, whether that's talking to my friend I know or giving up my seat on ad council so that somebody else, a new voice can be heard on that. And I think that's hospitality lived through the end, which is absolutely, I love that language, Gary, that camps uh, is utilizing about making uh, a community there. And so as we wrap up, um, I'm just going to ask kind of a really broad question on yeah, that everybody here has super excited faces. I wish th- I wish this was like a YouTube so you what could What is she going to ask? Yeah. Now? So you can see how much these three gentlemen currently do not like me for <laughs> not asking any of the questions I said I was going to ask. But as we talk about um, our calling into to becoming spaces of belonging and inclusion, what gives you hope for the future within that? And I'll start. What gives me hope is the people who live it. Maybe they're not the churches with the best hospitality program, but that when you walk in, they're just joy. There's just joy to see you. And they give me hope because honestly, I see in them what I want others to see in me. And that gives me great hope. I um, have great hope in knowing that God is creating spaces of belonging and inclusion kind of with or without us. And we have the opportunity to kind of join in that. Um, So, you know, it's finding those spaces and moments that are out there. And sometimes they're in church, sometimes they're not. But um, that really gives me hope that there's always going to be people making room and making more room at the table in the conversation for for everyone. And um, that's that's life-giving to me. I was in a training yesterday with somebody talking about fundraising, but she's also a deacon um, in the Lutheran church. And she had a great perspective in that the church is, it, it, church history is a pendulum. We kind of move back and forth. And when we think we're at a, at a dark place in our history or challenging place, that this is the end and it's all just going to go to pot. But she's like, no, that's when the pendulum swings and, and, and God does a new thing. And so I feel, I see places where people are, people are doing things inside and outside the institution of the church where, where great things are happening. You know, I see, I see flashes of, of light and new things that are happening, places where, they're, where they get it and they're so excited about being a lighthouse church or whatever that, that they're doing it. So you see those flashes and go, okay, God's doing something. We just better, you know, watch and go where God's going. Well, I really like all that because, I mean, even what Beth was saying, we don't have to be stuck. You know, where we are isn't where we have to stay. And, and I like how we, you know, how do we create that space? And I, if you've ever been to the Connectional Ministries office at the Area Center, you would know that it, we like to describe it as being corporate industrial. It's not a very welcoming <laughs> space. And so uh, we, we set about a remodeling project, and we're in that process now in order to create space where people can feel welcome and included from the moment they walk in. And I think what that says is that we can look at our space differently. You know, we might say, oh, you know, we have so many challenges and, you know, we only can do this much. Well, dream with people, get with people together and and think about it and dream. 
and and began to be creative about how people, from the moment they even drive on the parking lot, it can be a place of inclusion and welcoming. So uh, it can be done. We don't have to be stuck. You know, we have hope that our creativity and our and the spirit of God will help us move to even a different place. I hear you inviting all the pastors in East Ohio. If they're in the area, they can drop in and hang out and work and uh, just chill with us, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, Maybe grab a snack and a it, Well, <laughs> a if, if, they, if, if they did it right now, they'd just be sitting on a floor. That's true. Yeah. You know, That's true. <laughs> it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. But, you know, hey, we would love people just to stop by and, uh, and, and come in. And if they need a space... That's where we're going to be at too, and and not that I want to plug camps, but I'm going to. Is that a well? As we've been saying, camps is this welcoming space, and for clergy and lady, it's a great place to get connected with God, even just for a few hours to go walk the grounds. So I encourage you, if you need a, a short retreat, a day retreat, a weekend retreat, you know that that is a place of inclusion and belonging that you'll experience the presence of God. Well, to move us away from the camps commercial that Ed just uh, took us on, uh, but I, 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 no, I'll joke. He's absolutely right. But I also, I like the language you have of, uh, that you mentioned Connectional Ministries as a work in progress. But I think that's for churches and those uh, serving or with a local church, whether you're clergy or lay, I think that's the big reminder, right? Is we're all works in progress. So, you know, keep, Keep going. If if you feel like maybe you're not yet a place of belonging and inclusion, just attend to it and know that there's there's not any shame in that. And and please, you know, listen to those that you wish to belong uh, that are with you and and begin these conversations and giving of your time and these other things. But even um, you know those that that kind of feel like you're doing okay at this, just remember that we're all works in progress and to continue because kind of to come back to some of the language we used at the beginning, you know, there's always somebody on the fringe or there's always somebody maybe who we wouldn't be as hospitable to as others. And so to keep encouraging ourselves and, and uh, to do the plug where uh, we, we all engaged in using the BMC discussion guide uh, to guide some of our conversations uh, we had around connectional ministries to see how we, are also being a space of belonging, including. And so depending on where you are in your journey, that may also be something that's useful to you. But thank you, uh, Connectional Ministries, part of our team here. And thank you to anybody that's listening. And thank you for all the ways that you are indeed seeking to make your local connection with God a place where others can find belonging, including as we recognize the gift that we've had through Jesus's life, death and resurrection and what it offers us all in our belonging and our inclusion. And thank you again, Beth and gentlemen, for joining us around the table this episode. And for those of you listening, I just pray that this has been another encouraging and inspiring conversation for you, and that this conversation around belonging and inclusion will just spark a fire in you that you'll be able to, uh, in your own life, in your own church, that if you haven't already, that you'll be able to move beyond just being hospitable, but to drive towards building authentic community through this pillar of belonging and inclusion. You can learn more about the East Ohio Conference by visiting our website at www.eocumc.com or by finding us online at Facebook at facebook.com slash EOCUMC, on Instagram at EOCUMC, or on Twitter at EastOhioUM. <laughs>